0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kim Zuckert, Tales of the Brass Hedgehog, hedgehog Hedgehog.net. Anne of Avonlea by L. M. Montgomery. CHAPTER Twenty-One, SWEET MISS LAVENDER. School opened, and Anne returned to her work, with fewer theories but considerably more experience. She had several new pupils, six- and seven-year-olds, just venturing round-eyed into a world of wonder. Among them were Davy and Dora. Davy sat with Milty Bolter, who had been going to school for a year and was therefore quite a man of the world. Dora had made a compact at Sunday school the previous Sunday to sit with Lily Sloane, But, Lily Sloan not coming the first day, she was temporarily assigned to Mirabel Cotton, who was ten years old and therefore, in Dora's eyes, one of the big girls.' "'I think school is great fun,' Davy told Marilla when he got home that night. "'You said I'd find it hard to sit still, and I did. "'You mostly do tell the truth, I notice, "'but you can wriggle your legs about under the desk, and that helps a lot. "'It's... "'Splendid to have so many boys to play with. "'I sit with Milty Bolter, and he's fine. "'He's longer than me, but I'm wider. "'It's nicer to sit in the back seats, "'but you can't sit there till your legs grow long enough to touch the floor. Milty drawed a picture of Anne on his slate, "'and it was awful ugly, "'and I told him if he made pictures of Anne like that, "'I'd lick him at recess. "'I thought at first I'd draw one of him and put horns and a tail on it, "'but I was afraid it would hurt his feelings, "'and Anne said you should never hurt anyone's feelings. "'It seems it's dreadful to have your feelings hurt.' "'It's better to knock a boy down than hurt his feelings, if you must do something. Milty says he wasn't scared of me, but he'd just as soon call it somebody else to oblige me, "'so he rubbed out Anne's name and printed Barbara Shaw's under it. Milty doesn't like Barbara, because she calls him a sweet little boy, "'and once she patted him on the head.'" Doris said primly that she liked school, but she was very quiet, even for her, and when at twilight Marilla bade her go upstairs to bed, she hesitated and began to cry— "'I'm—I'm I'm frightened,' she sobbed. "'I—I I don't want to go upstairs alone in the dark.' "'What notion have you got into your head now?' demanded Marilla. "'I'm sure you've gone to bed alone all summer and never been frightened before.' Dora still continued to cry, so Anne picked her up, cuddled her sympathetically, and whispered, "'Tell Anne all about it, sweetheart. What are you frightened of?' "'Of—of of Maribel Cotton's uncle.' sobbed dora mirabel cotton told me all about her family today in school nearly everybody in her family has died all her grandfathers and grandmothers and ever so many uncles and aunts they have a habit of dying mirabel says mirabel's awful proud of having so many dead relations and she told me what they all died of and what they said and how they looked in their coffins and mirabel says one of her uncles was seen walking around the house after he was buried "'Her mother saw him. I don't mind the rest so much, but I can't help thinking about that uncle.' Anne went upstairs with Dora, and sat by her until she fell asleep. The next day Mirabel Cotton was kept in at recess, and gently but firmly given to understand that when you were so unfortunate as to possess an uncle who persisted in walking about houses after he had been decently interred, it was not in good taste to talk about that eccentric gentleman to your deskmate of tender years.' Mirabel thought this very harsh. The cottons had not much to boast of. How was she to keep up her prestige among her schoolmates if she were forbidden to make capital out of the family ghost? September slipped by into a gold and crimson graciousness of October. One Friday evening Diana came over. I'd a letter from Ella Kimball today, Anne, and she wants us to go over to tea tomorrow afternoon to meet her cousin Irene Trent from town. But we can't get one of our horses to go for they'll all be in use tomorrow, and your pony is lame, so I suppose we can't go. "'Why can't we walk?' suggested Anne. "'If we go straight back through the woods, we'll strike the West Grafton Road, not far from the Kimball Place. "'I was through that way last winter, and I know the road. "'It's no more than four miles, and we won't have to walk home, for Oliver Kimball will be sure to drive us. "'He'll be only too glad of the excuse, for he goes to see Carrie Sloane, "'and they say his father will hardly ever let him have a horse.' "'It was accordingly arranged that they should walk.' and the following afternoon they set out, going by way of Lover's Lane to the back of the Cuthbert farm, where they found a road leading into the heart of acres of glimmering beech and maple woods, which were all in a wondrous glow of flame and gold, lying in a great purple stillness and peace. "'It's as if the year were kneeling to pray in a vast cathedral full of mellow stained light, isn't it?' said Anne dreamily. "'It doesn't seem right to hurry through it, does it?' "'It seems irreverent, like running in a church.' "'We must hurry, though,' said Diana, glancing at her watch. "'We've left ourselves little enough time as it is.' "'Well, I'll walk fast, but don't ask me to talk,' said Anne, quickening her pace. "'I just want to drink the day's loveliness in. "'I feel as if she were holding it out to my lips like a cup of airy wine, "'and I'll take a sip at every step.' "'Perhaps it was because she was so absorbed in drinking it in,' that Anne took the left turning when they came to a fork in the road. She should have taken the right, but ever afterwards she counted it the most fortunate mistake of her life. They came out finally to a lonely grassy road with nothing in sight along it but ranks of spruce saplings. "'Why, where are we?' exclaimed Diana in bewilderment. "'This isn't the West Grafton Road.' "'No, it's the Baseline Road in Middle Grafton,' said Anne, rather shamefacedly. "'I must have taken the wrong turning at the fork.' "'I don't know where we are, exactly, but we must be all of three miles from Kimball's still.' "'Then we can't get there by five, for it's half-past four now,' said Diana, with a despairing look at her watch. "'We'll arrive after they had their tea, and they'll have all the bother of getting ours all over again.' Well, we'd better turn back and go home,' suggested Anne, humbly. "'But Diana, after consideration, vetoed this. "'No, we might as well go and spend the evening, since we have come this far.' A few yards further on, the girls came to a place where the road forked again. "'Which of these do we take?' asked Diana, dubiously. Anne shook her head. "'I don't know, and we can't afford to make any more mistakes. "'Here is a gate and a lane leading right into the wood. "'There must be a house at the other side. "'Let's go down and inquire.' "'What a romantic old lane this is,' said Diana, "'as they walked along its twists and turns. "'It ran under—' patriarchal old firs whose branches met above, creating a perpetual gloom in which nothing except moss could grow. On either hand were brown wood floors, crossed here and there by fallen lances of sunlight. All was very still and remote, as if the world and the cares of the world were far away. "'I feel as if we were walking through an enchanted forest,' said Anne in a hushed tone. "'Do you suppose we'll ever find our way back to the real world again, Diana? "'We shall presently come to a palace with a spellbound princess in it, I think.' "'Around the next turn they came in sight, not indeed of a palace, "'but of a little house almost as surprising as a palace would have been "'in this province of conventional wooden farmhouses, "'all as much alike in general characteristics as if they had grown from the same seed.' Anne stopped short in rapture, and Diana exclaimed, "'Oh, I know where we are now. This is the little stone house where Miss Lavender Lewis lives. Echo Lodge,' she calls it, I think. "'I've often heard of it, but I've never seen it before. Isn't it a romantic spot?' "'It's the sweetest, prettiest place I ever saw or imagined,' said Anne delightedly. "'It looks like a bit out of a storybook or a dream.' The house was a low-eaved structure built of undressed blocks of red-island sandstone, with a little peaked roof out of which peered two dormer windows with quaint wooden hoods over them, and two great chimneys. The whole house was covered with a luxuriant growth of ivy, finding easy foothold on the rough stonework, and turned by autumn frosts to most beautiful bronze and wine-red tints. Before the house was an oblong garden, "'into which the lane gate where the girls were standing opened. "'The house bounded it on one side. "'On the three others it was enclosed by an old stone dyke, "'so overgrown with moss and grass and ferns "'that it looked like a high green bank. "'On the right and left the tall dark spruces "'spread their palm-like branches over it. "'But below it was a little meadow, "'green with clover aftermath, "'sloping down to the blue loop of the Grafton River. "'No other house or clearing was in sight.' nothing but hills and valleys covered with feathery young firs. "'I wonder what sort of a person Miss Lewis is,' speculated Diana, as they opened the gate into the garden. "'They say she is very peculiar.' "'She'll be interesting, then,' said Anne decidedly. "'Peculiar people are always that, at least, whatever else they are or not. "'Didn't I tell you we would come to an enchanted palace? I knew the elves hadn't woven magic over that lane for nothing.' "'But Miss Lavender Lewis is hardly a spellbound princess,' laughed Diana. "'She's an old maid. She's forty-five and quite grey, I've heard.' "'Oh, that's only part of the spell,' asserted Anne confidently. "'At heart she's young and beautiful still, "'and if we only knew how to unloose the spell she would step forth radiant and fair again. "'But we don't know how. "'It's always and only the prince who knows that, "'and Miss Lavender's prince hasn't come yet.' "'Perhaps some fatal mischance has befallen him, "'though that's against the law of all fairy tales.' "'I'm afraid he came long ago and went away again,' said Diana. "'They say she used to be engaged to Stephen Irving, Paul's father, when they were young, "'but they quarrelled and parted. "'Hush,' warned Anne, "'the door is open.' "'The girls paused in the porch under the tendrils of ivy, and knocked at the open door. "'There was a patter of steps inside, and a rather odd little personage presented herself.' A girl of about fourteen, with a freckled face, a snub nose, a mouth so wide that it did really seem as if it stretched from ear to ear, and two long braids of fair hair tied with two enormous bows of blue ribbon. "'Is Miss Lewis at home?' asked Diana. "'Yes, ma'am. Come in, ma'am. I'll tell Miss Lavender you're here, ma'am. She's upstairs, ma'am.' With this the small handmaiden, whisked out of sight, and the girls, left alone, looked about them with delighted eyes. The interior of this wonderful little house was quite as interesting as its exterior. The room had a low ceiling and two square, small-paned windows, curtained with muslin frills. All the furnishings were old-fashioned, but so well and daintily kept that the effect was delicious. But it must be candidly admitted that the most attractive feature to two healthy girls who had just tramped four miles through autumn air was a table, set out with pale blue china and laden with delicacies.